In this episode, inventory levels can be fun, too much or too little, and how do you overcome the joint venture nightmare? gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, before we get to our guest today, please, 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 you want to help support this show and our eight other oil and gas podcasts, just leave a review. It takes a couple of minutes, helps your peers find the good shows. And if you don't like the format of the show or you have a suggestion, just go ahead and leave it in the review. We'll be happy to change things to make you happier. Big shout out to Nutanix, the sponsor of this show. If you need help modernizing your data center and running applications at any scale on-prem or in the cloud, these are the folks you want to talk to. And I am super, super lucky today. I'm actually sitting here with Jeremiah and Kristen from IBM. How y'all doing today doing good doing great yeah and speaking of ibm ibm's a sponsor of oil and gas this week which just happens to be the number one oil and gas podcast in the world so thank y'all gentlemen for working hard and earning money for ibm so they could pay for our other podcasts happy to support it <laughs> yeah no we love ibm we've known y'all forever and today we want to talk a little about something you know we're in this COVID 19 lockdown world things are starting to ease up a little bit but we're still in that double black swan event that i've never seen before where there's low crude price environment at the same time there's a decreasing demand for refined products and it's just businesses don't know what to do and so i want to talk a little bit about this and a little bit about how some of the solutions might be right in front of companies faces they just may not know they're out there so if we want to talk about things in oil and gas that are problematic. And nobody will admit to this, but it's the truth. Supply chain is an issue for the entire industry during normal times. You know, whether it's upstream, midstream, downstream of service, supply chain has always been an issue. And during this time, if you can squeak out an extra one or 2% efficiency in your supply chain, it makes a big difference. You want to talk a little bit about that, guys? Yeah, happy to. Yeah, go ahead, Christian. You, you lead it. Sure. When it comes to, you know, our hydrocarbon value chain, they are currently operating at obviously conditions that are hitherto unknown. You know, there's significant glut on either side, whether it's raw materials on the crude side of it or on the product side of it from, you know, inventory levels for fuels. And the short-term mitigating action seems to be around, you know, reducing the throughputs, operating at extremely low capacity, and in some cases, maybe even a few shutdowns and so on. So the there's a huge challenge when it comes to, first of all, tiding over this, and secondly, to plan a recovery, you know, getting the inventory levels back to normalcy on both sides of the value chain of the manufacturing facilities. So what we believe is going to be a significant focus on three major steps. One would be around, you know, addressing the cost advantage, whatever we can do from a cost takeout in the immediate short term. What are the things that we can do with the, any cost takeout opportunities, whether in inventories and also, you know, while addressing the obligation to the workforce as to the safety of the workforce and getting back to work. And when we get to the next level in terms of medium term, the subsequent recovery and the resiliency part of it. How do you ramp this back and how do you balance the supply chain and eventually get back to a point where you can scale at the new normal levels, you know, whatever be the definition of 
new normal is that comes out of this. Yeah, so I come from a very specific business unit within IBM. That we have a solution that's been around for quite some time. Started out in the mining industry in Australia over 20 years ago, and has branched off into oil and gas for the last 15, 16 years. Working with some of the super majors like Exxon and BP, and then down to Conoco and some of the, the state-owned oil companies like Adnoc and Petronas around the globe. And we're really focused on optimizing inventory levels around production and uptime. So our goal is really analyzing just a long about way to answer your question. So maybe just give a little background information and I'll answer it. <laughs> our goal is to really look at large data sets. So these guys, the Exxon Mobiles of the world, they're operating all over the world, producing oil exploration and production in some most remote regions in the world. And before COVID hit, Production was their number one goal. There were, it was uptime and they used our, they use our solution now, but they use our solution then primarily to really identify where they didn't have enough of their critical spare parts on hand in some of these remote regions. And so what our solution is doing is analyzing critical spare parts based on usage, procurement history, lead times and criticalities, large, large sloths of data sets that are going into the, to our system and analyzation and making recommendations, not what some operations teams think they should be stocking based on past experiences of failures, but what it actually should be based on historical demand, if you will, and in any future demand that you may know of failures and so forth as well. So it's a very, it's a big data analytic solution with a lot of intelligence built into it. But the idea is that from before COVID hit, we were really focused on optimizing for production, making sure they have those spare parts. They weren't personally from being in this industry for almost 16 years now, they were spending too much and they really weren't focused on running down some of those excess items that they had. But now when we enter into this new world right now where we sit with COVID, it's an interesting perspective. And now we're really using our solution to look at, you've got five years of these pumps sitting on the shelf and you're only using two every four or five months for some to that extent. So we really want to prevent any new orders as a slow production down. We want to lower those reorder points, those min maxes in their financial systems like SAP or Oracle, whatever it is they may be using. And the main goal here is prevent them from spending unnecessary money they don't need because a lot of this is automated today. So when someone uses a gasket or a filter or whatever it may be, the operations guys, maintenance guys does, then it may trigger a reorder. And so it's crucial in this state where we've got this price per barrel so low that we prevent. And if you think about maybe one order is okay, that maybe it's a couple hundred bucks for a gasket. But if you think of someone like Exxon globally, that can add up really quick across the globe and all those reorders start triggering for new parts in certain regions. So the goal is, Let's prevent the reorders. Let's lower our consumption based on what they're producing now. And then when we start seeing production start ramping up, we can really quickly adjust the data sets to map that, you know, in the next six months, we plan on ramping up production 20, 30, 40%. So when, as that starts matching the price per oil and they start selling it at a little better rate than it is today, we can match that. Thus saving, in certain cases, millions and millions of dollars of utilizing the money they've already spent on the spare parts that they have and then preventing them from spending additional monies they don't need to spend. Yeah, Jeremiah, so I want to go back to the root of the problem because if people are listening outside of 
oil and gas or at least outside of upstream. What they don't understand is that when you're running an operation, let's say off the coast of Africa, that rig has to have all the parts and pieces that it needs to run, but it also needs to have the critical parts that may break because if something breaks, they quit production and that may be a million dollars a day in lost revenue. Absolutely. Fantastic point. And that is really at the heart of what we do. So our solution, so in the before a solution like ours existed, what's happening or with customer or guy clients out there that aren't using our system, what's happening is they're leaving this up to the reliability maintenance operations guys to go, well, this is the insurance spare. This is highly critical. If we don't have this, it's going to shut us down and it will be down for you know however long it takes us to get an order. So we're going to have a couple of these insurance spares readily available. Totally understand that. You've got to have that. So the goal here for us is to making sure that you don't have too much or too little. And we do that by specifically, we have a, we tap into the data sets and we link the spare part to the equipment that it's utilized on. And we really try to determine how critical the spare part is. And then once we know how critical the equipment it's being used on is, then we determine what is the business impact if you did not have it right away. Or how many suppliers can you only buy this thing out of Germany? It's manufactured and it, you know, lead time is 350 days. Or is this something that you can buy across the street from three or four different suppliers? And like, and great example of off the coast of Africa, because that's where there's just masses amounts of inventory just stockpiled there because getting parts and inventory into country is horrible. And it, from a planning perspective, it's a nightmare. So one of the things that we do from that perspective is, is that we're calculating what we consider total lead time, not just the supplier lead time, but the considering and the time it takes to the demand is generated. So the purchase request is issued and then the approval process and then the time it takes to get it available on the, on the shelf, available for maintenance to use. So it's crucial for us to know that total lead time. And then we're constantly updating that total lead time, comparing it against the supplier. And so what's cool about that is you're making sure they're staying in production. Now, the flip side of I've personally experienced, so I'm a member of Harry's, which is like a shave club, and you can automate the replacement of razor blades, which I did, right? Figure one less thing for me to worry about. Well, don't you know, I bought a house in December. When I moved, I had to get all these razor blades. I must have seven years worth of razor blades that were automatically ordered, sent to my house. I put them in the cabinet, not thinking, well, that's not a big deal if they're $7 a box. But when you start talking about blowout preventers, which may be, you know, $800,000 a piece, and somebody automatically orders another or some system automatically orders another one in this almost zero crude price environment, that can add up quick. And when you're the scope of somebody like one of the super majors, just being able Able to find that must be like a needle in a haystack. Yeah, and that's and, especially uh, this tool. Oh, go ahead, Christian. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> but you know, Jeremy, you didn't mention about the planning aspect as well as the demand forecasting aspect of it. So if you step back a little from the problem that concerns the spares and the parts and the tools and stuff, it's a fundamental change in philosophy that refiners and petrochemical facilities need to actually address mainly around expanding your time horizon when it comes to demand forecasting. Whatever we used to plan in the past is not sufficient enough to give the right kind of fidelity to the actual execution, you know, planning whether you're from a raw material and product inventories perspective and balancing the production capacities to that and eventually tailor it down to the kind of asset utilization you expect. All of that part 
the actual planning horizon, the demand forecasting, everything needs to be a lot longer than what it used to be. So when we recover eventually, that's one of the key focus areas. And, you know, all of that eventually converts into the requirements when it comes to, you know, what kind of spares, what kind of tools and in what volumes and what numbers you need to store in order to make sure your supply chain executes to plan. And that's, I think that's a fundamental change from the higher level, from a planning perspective. And from an execution perspective, of course, what Jeremiah talked about earlier in terms of you know, optimizing and executing to that plan. You know, Christian, you made me think of something. You brought up downstream. And downstream here in the U.S. and probably globally is in this weird place right now where they're not making any money. And so they have turnarounds or planned maintenance incidences. And so now would be the ideal time to do a turnaround because you're going to shut a unit down in a refinery that's not making money anyway. And it would be a great time, except with this COVID-19 thing, you can't bring all the thousands of contractors that typically you bring on site to do a turnaround. So I think that that probably has a technology component to it as well, you know, as far as figuring out when do you do your turnaround and what parts and pieces do you need there? And how do you get those parts and pieces there with the least amount of people, person-to-person interaction while this COVID-19 pandemic's going around? So just it's an interesting quandary that to me just reeks for a technology solution. Absolutely. As you know, turnarounds need to be pre-planned over, you know, a year or a year and a half ahead of the actual scheduled time. And in this case, when people jump into turnarounds, particularly if you prepone it by a month or so, that is doable. But if labor is in short supply to do the turnaround activities or even your procurement activities lag behind in terms of getting the right materials and so on, then even though it's a best idea to get the turnarounds out of the way while we are down with respect to production, it may not be the feasible one. And that's where the challenge is. So from a technology perspective, being able to track the contractors, the performance, the time on tool, as well as the asset tracking while a turnaround is being executed, all of that become that much more important from a tracking and optimization perspective that when and if they get to the turnarounds in the short term, it'll make it that much more efficient, considering that there's going to be all kinds of social distancing norms and availability of contractors out there in the field to do the work, maybe, you know, reduce contractor workforce to do the same volume of work. So a balancing of budget and schedule is going to be critical. And technology such as, you know, smart sensors out there in the field, visual analytics and so on will have a huge bearing on how these things are getting executed. I think it's cool that you brought up budget, which is like a perfect segue. We, and folks, we didn't plan this. So one of the things that I'm actually kind of surprised at when I'm looking at my show notes here is IBM's helping the oil and gas industry free up working capital. What? <laughs> How are y'all doing that? <laughs> so that's right up what we do. So right now we've got a really big project in the downstream petrochemical side with one of the super majors where they have a working capital project, I think to the tune of about a billion dollars they're trying to cut out. And we are tagged with $200 million in working capital around inventory. And so what we do is this particular client is sitting on 900 million in total MRO spare parts inventory globally at all their sites. And so what we've identified is, is that in the first 24 months of go live of our system, that there is to the tune of about 250 million dollars in excess material. And well, it's about 175 million in excess material that if you think about it, so what we're going to do is we're going to lower the min maxes, the reorder points on those spare parts. 
they're going to utilize those inventories over the next 24 months, not buying additional. So we're reducing the inventory levels, thus freeing up the working capital. So they've invested that money. They bought inventory to the tune of a 900 million that's sitting around the globe. That's an investment of inventory. That's their working capital. So they've invested. And then that money is tagged to, you know, there's the price of that capital as well. And so that's sitting there in those warehouses not being utilized. So our goal is to free up that working capital, utilize what you've already invested. Don't buy more. So that the goal there, and then we're preventing them from spending more. So there's a couple of numbers that we're adding and then the holding costs of that material and so forth. So for that particular client that we're tagged with saving about $200 million in the first 24 months. You know, it makes total sense and it's such a simple concept, but I never even thought about that before. And to the company, you know, for their CapEx and their OpEx budget, that's almost like free money. That money was there. It's been budgeted, but now you're able to pull it back and they use it for other things. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, that it, especially in this time right now that we're in, we've become extremely popular. Like for me, I love this product. Originally come from maintenance management software systems and so forth in the oil and gas industry. And this one, the value that we bring is so, it's so easy to understand. But the simplicity of what we're doing here, there's a lot of mathematics behind the scene to automate all this, but it's eye-opening. And the amount of money that we're actually saving here and freeing up for these guys is great. But to the point with the COVID situation, it's crucial to stop the bleeding. And essentially, if you don't have a solution like this attached and preventing these reorders and utilizing what you've invested already, you're kind of flying blind, if you will. Yeah. When I said it's a simple solution, I meant the concept simple. The technology that runs in the back end is, of course, not simple. But actually, this is a good point. So for anybody, if you're just now tuning into the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, we're sitting here talking to IBM. If you work in the oil and gas industry, you need to understand IBM is no longer a box manufacturer. They haven't been a box manufacturer in 18 years. <laughs> They're cutting edge think tank type stuff. And the fact that y'all have domain expertise, you know, Christian, when you said time on tool, the first thing that pops in my head is like, he's one of us. Right. That's a, that's an that's you know what you're talking about. You're part of the oil and gas industry. So I just love this. I love the fact that you're using your domain expertise with your knowledge of the oil and gas industry to help companies out during this time. What's some of the other benefits of optimizing your supply chain? I guess one of them was also have to be an HS and E metrics, right? You have less people getting in less trucks driving to deliver less parts, so you have less incidents. Yeah, so, so we've done everything. Yeah, go ahead, Christian, if you want to jump in there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when it comes to you know, the obligation to the workforce, whether it is employees, our own, you know, field operators or contractor workforce that comes in without vehicles, safety is going to get significantly higher priority when we recover from all of this. Again, we briefly alluded to the part around the turnarounds where there's larger volumes of people out there in the field, even though the plant is not operational anymore. But even under normal working conditions, you're going to have a different ways of working when we recover and start operations in this case. Safety, social distancing, having the right level of certification to work in certain areas, having the associated permits, and also being able to detect the health and fatigue of individuals. With the limitations and constraints of, you know, privacy laws and stuff, but nevertheless, some of them, the unions would be more than willing to compromise on, particularly in today's focus around safety concerns. I think technology is a huge part to play in those areas and tied to the, you know, warehouse management, how the parts are stocked, how much are stocked. 
and so on, I think it becomes sort of an end-to-end view of where all technology can play, you know, tracking the assets in mobile situations, as well as within the warehouse in terms of parts and tools and stuff, and the individuals themselves in terms of, you know, where they are supposed to be with respect to their work permits and stuff. Yeah, one of the things that I think is going to happen with this COVID-19 and double black swan event that we're going through, I think it's going to force the oil and gas industry to go through a decade of maturity in 24 months. Um, <laughs> I think companies that don't adopt new process and new technology, quite frankly, are going to disappear. And I love what y'all are doing with this. It's, you know, the last year, the end of last year, I'm not going to tell you which service company, but it's one of the biggest oil and gas service companies in the world wanted to give me a tour of their just-in-time delivery system out in West Texas. And so I went because I was like, oh, whoa, this is new. And their just-in-time delivery system was a C-can full of spare parts that they dropped off at the well site. And I had to explain to them that this is not just-in-time delivery. What just-in-time delivery is what automotive figured out, right? right? So when the, the guy on the automotive manufacturing line picks up the last light bulb, the machine knows he picked up the last light bulb. It contacts the supplier who makes zero defect products because it partnered with the automobile manufacturer and the right light bulbs show up just in time. That's the type of efficiencies that the oil and gas industry has to have moving forward. And I think it's cool that you're right smack in the middle of that driving those type of efficiencies. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, you know, being in this industry for a long time and knowing where manufacturing has been for so long and so, you know, and so far advanced ahead aerospace defense. So we operate in a lot of those industries as well. And just doing the basics with these guys is meaning so much, but there's so much more that could be done. You know, and there's a few front runners out there. I won't name names, but there are a few of them out there that are, are trying to, they're really pushing the, the limits of their boundaries of their capabilities in this industry. And I think a lot of the problem and the root of when it comes to really, truly optimizing your supply chain in these organizations, the root problem is overcoming the joint venture situation that these old companies have. We do have a few of these outliers out there that are really pushing the boundaries to basically, if you think about if you're an oil company and you've got six offshore assets in the Gulf of Mexico, those are all individual joint ventured. So your inventory, you may be in the same warehouse but you have to stock individually for that asset, even though you're buying the same parts. So you're carrying way too, if you could centralize your procurement for all those assets and only stock, you know, I've got, I got the same pump that's going to those six assets, but I've got to keep in, I've got to, maybe I need to have four on hand for that asset. So now I've got six of those times four, right? It each stocked individually. If you could centralize that, and we're doing this with the mining companies and offshore drilling companies right now, because they're not in that joint venture situation from a financial standpoint. So, but if we can overcome that for them and ultimately get to a point to where we get a lot of this inventory pushed off to vendor managed and they can get a lot of this capital off their books and save serious amount of money. But then that comes into automation of the warehouse. They're discussing it, but they're still in the warehouse with paper and pen in a lot of cases. And there's so many more efficiencies yeah, to gain from that perspective. Yeah, the mining companies are an interesting example that Jeremiah brought up. You know, there are things from how the mines and the associated manufacturing facilities, the fertilizer complexes and so on, how they work seamlessly with each other. And in most cases with potentially significantly lesser levels of instrumentation and control. Nevertheless, they still manage to balance the inventories that come from the mine and gets processed in the manufacturing facilities and so on and so forth. Whereas hydrocarbon value chain has always used significant amount of buffers and pipelines, intermediate terminals, 
depots and whatnot for materials management, you know, from raw material to crude, pro- the fuel products. And that eventually, because, you know, it, it translates to how you operate your manufacturing processes and so on, it filters all the way down to the parts and tools and spares and stuff that you keep in order to keep your asset utilization high. So I think there are lessons, significant lessons to be learned from other industries and with industries collapsing or, you know, combining the way it's going on, there'll be more opportunities to cross leverage what's working in one sector to another. I love that IBM has such a global reach that you see the same problems in radically, or not radically, but different industries, and you bring the solutions here. One of the things that's always bothered me about, and I have a passion for oil and gas industry, is we tend to not look outside our own box. And so I just think it's really cool that you see the same problems and you bring those solutions in. You know, this is just really cool stuff. And, you know, if you would have asked me if I thought IBM was a solution for supply chain problems, I would have said, I'm not sure, but man, y'all are right smack in the middle of that. I mean, this is this is really cool that you're using your domain expertise and your your technology and literally helping companies free up cash and reduce the amount of downtime that they have. Absolutely. Yeah. So Christian, this has been awesome. It looks like we lost Jeremiah for a second, but it's about time to wind down the show. Uh, sit tight real quick. We have to uh, pay the bills. So this is a point of the show where we typically do product reviews. Please, people, don't send me heavy steel. I want gadgety stuff. So if you want a product to be reviewed, you know the drill. If I think it's great, I say it's great. And if I think it's not so great, I'll say it's not so great. At the same time, if since we don't have a product review, go join our street team. It's our all-volunteer group on Facebook. Just go to OGGN street team and Facebook. You have to answer a question too, and you'll be part of our extended family. And the Nutanix enables IT teams to build and operate highly automated private hybrid clouds. Plus, they give away this really cool JBL Flip 4 Bluetooth speaker. So if you want to win one, Jeremiah or Christian, it's really easy. Go to the show notes, click on the link, put your name in there. We give one lucky winner a week away. And then finally, go join our LinkedIn page. We're over 40,000 members now and growing strong. Jeremiah and Christian, we got to get y'all back on the show. I mean, we just kind of scratched the surface here, but unfortunately, it's time to get out of here. If people wanted to learn more about IBM, where should they go? We have our industry page, which talks about whether it's upstream, downstream chemicals, mining, industrial products, and whatnot. And we'll we put a link in the show notes. Industry pages that lead the you know interested parties to the corresponding solutions, the points of views, what we have done in different organizations all the way from edge to ERP. All of that is available. And there's a multiple sets of white papers and industry trend publications that we have through our, what we call Institute of Business Value. So all these are available for access from our www.ibm.com slash chemicals and petroleum. Yep. We'll put that link in the show notes, people, so you can just click on the link instead of trying to write that down. And then I'm guessing if people wanted to learn more about you, Christian and Jeremiah, LinkedIn's probably the best place to go. Absolutely. Yes. There is a profile available on our IBM.com site as well as industry leaders, but also in the LinkedIn profiles. Yeah. So we'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile as well. This has been awesome, guys. We got to get out of here, but we're definitely going to get you back on the show a little bit later. Y'all stay safe and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So folks, we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. 
Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.